Hey everybody, Fran Frischella here and welcome to the world of basketball. Uh, this week we've got a very interesting discussion with Rick Patino, Hall of Fame college coach, NBA coach, but more specifically as he has now segued back to Iona College in New Rochelle, New York, we're going to talk to him about his two years or so, parts of two years, as a coach at Panathinaikos in, the, in Greece, also in the EuroLeague. So we'll get into a lot of topics with uh, Coach Patino. Before that, I just want to mention that uh, I will be part of the TBT, the basketball tournament, which starts July 4th and ends July 14th on ESPN. It will be the first basketball tournament televised since uh, uh, sports has been shut down, essentially, not only in the United States, but around the world. Uh, so we'll be bringing that to you starting on July 4th. And the interesting thing about the TBT, if you're not familiar with it, uh, this year there'll be 24 teams, a winner-take-all million-dollar prize, uh, and it'll be 24 outstanding teams Made up, of, made up of college players, former college players, who uh, are now playing around the world in many of the great leagues in, in basketball, whether it's uh, the Euro League or the Spanish ACB or the French Pro A or Germany. Uh, guys like Kyle Hines, who is going to play in uh, Milan this year for Ettore Messina. Uh, Kyle was just voted uh, the Euro League's all-decade team. From 2010 to 2020, great player at Seska Moscow the last few years. He's going to be in Milan. But it's going to be that level of competition. I just wanted to mention that to you because basketball is back in the United States starting July 4th with the TBT. Now, uh, as I mentioned, Rick Pitino uh, took a chance, uh, was really out of coaching, and there was really no, uh, there was no route back into college coaching uh, because of his time at Louisville where he was forced to resign uh, somewhat ignominiously, but he got a chance uh, two Decembers ago to uh, uh, return to coaching as the coach at Panathinaikos, and he's going to tell you his experience after a long and successful career in both college and the NBA. He's going to tell you what convinced him to take the job in Greece, which person at Panathinaikos made his wife incredibly nervous about joining this team. And you'll find out about a rivalry that has it all. This rivalry goes beyond Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville. It includes bulletproof glass and hand grenades. I promise you, this is a very interesting discussion. So here's my chat with Coach Rick Patino. Rick Patino, I want to welcome you to the World of Basketball podcast. Thanks, Fran. Good to be with you. Now, as I followed your career, you really did not get involved too much in international hoops that I can remember. I don't know if you got to go overseas and do clinics. I don't remember any USA basketball stuff that I can remember. What was your, given, a, given the kind of junkie you've been your whole life, what kind of basketball involvement did you have in any way with, with international hoops? Well, Coach Gamba from, from Italy, the Federation, invited me over to give clinics, actually with Ethnori et, Messina. Yeah. We did clinics together in Italy. Then I coached um, Puerto Rican national team in FIBA That's basketball. That's right. Yes, you did. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Clinics in Italy, clinics in, um, in uh, Norway. Um, nothing, though, in terms of getting involved in the Olympic movement. I was always into recruiting during the summer months and didn't want to sacrifice that 
Right. But thoroughly enjoyed the FIBA experience. And Greece was utopia for me because when you're in your mid 60s and you can continue to learn and grow as a basketball coach, it's an enormous help. Yeah, in fact, I, I, I covered the Pan Am games, and I should have remembered that. You had that uh, you had the Puerto Rican national team. And did you get a taste then? Uh, I remember one particular game. I hate to bring this up because I think it was Brazil. Uh, and and they, they were tremendous the night they played you up in Toronto. Did you get a taste of international hoops, just style of play from your experience in Puerto Rico, the rules, et cetera? Yeah, Puerto Rico uh... – they were a competitive team, but when a, J.J. Barea was the best basketball player, the front court was not strong. So I got a great feel for it. The coaching I knew was outstanding. Argentina, Brazil, actually Venezuela won it, which was a big shock. Canada, Canada really struggled, but had the most talent, which was unusual. Uh, but I think FIBA basketball... It's funny because I played against Scola this year. And yes. <laughs> he's still around. It was amazing to me. But he was yeah. in more in his prime back then than he was, obviously, in EuroLeague basketball. But it was a great experience. I enjoyed it, got my taste of it, and uh, really learned a lot. Christmas Eve two years ago, I, I think Chris Wallace was probably the catalyst. You know, you, you decide you're going to go to Greece and coach Panathinaikos. When you told your family that you were leaving, and I think you had to leave Christmas Day, but when you were mulling over the opportunity to go back to coaching, I mean, what, what kind of trepidation did you have uh, about leaving and, and going overseas? Well, if it wasn't for Brett Brown, okay. you know, Philadelphia 76s, I don't think I would have ever have taken the job. Because a few weeks prior to that, I was doing a podcast like yourself, and I just taped Brett, and I said, Brett, you left me at Boston University. Tell me, how did you get to Australia? He said, Coach, I was just sitting around my dad. I asked him if he would give me the money to just go to Australia. I said, but who did you know there? He said, I knew no one. I just decided to pack my bags. I was always thinking about Australia as a place I wanted to visit. I just picked up and left. I said, 23. Four, 25 years of age. He said, I met my wife. I helped. Uh, I played over there. I became the assistant coach. I became the national coach. And I loved it. So I was thinking about it on, on a week before Christmas Eve, Chris Wallace called. And I was, he was telling me all about Panathinaikos being like the Boston Celtics of the EuroLeague. And I was thinking about it, thinking about it. And then I thought about Brett Brown. And if he could do it at, at a young age, I at 65 could certainly do it. I packed my bags. I actually took, took, took off Christmas Eve at 11.55 in the evening, uh, flew to New York, took, took a flight Emirates to Athens, arrived there not knowing one person, bags in hand, they picked me up. I was tired when I came through and all of a sudden there were a hundred people snapping pictures and, and, and I was overwhelmed at the airport of what they were making of this coach coming over. Uh, so that was my first indoctrination to it all. Uh, Greece is a great place to live. The, the comfortable thing for me is 90% of the population speak fairly good English. It, it's unlike any other country in Europe. The Greeks speak English. <laughs> and, um, and, and probably have relatives in New York anyway. 
in Astoria. <laughs> the way we grew in Astoria, exactly. John's Bakery, I remember. There's a great Greek bakery there. Now, you mentioned a couple names because I want the listeners to know. Uh, Chris Wallace, a very good friend of yours. Uh, you've known him forever. You, you work with him in Boston, uh, former GM of the Grizzlies. And then Brett Brown, a lot of people don't realize this. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on a tangent for a second. But I remember when you coached Brett Brown uh, at Boston U. Of course, his father was a great coach in Maine. And, uh, and a lot of people don't realize that connection. I'm just curious as we veer off and come back to Greece, because it is kind of international hoops. Uh, tell us about the connection with Brett and you got to be proud of him to watch his growth and then coming back to the States. Yeah. I hired his dad as an assistant coach as well. Uh, was very Brett, you know, I, I'm very fortunate because there are so many guys at the lower level that I've coached that have gone on to be professional coaches. Brett Brown goes to the, the Sixes. My assistant coach, Jim O'Brien, goes on to the Celtics, the Pacers. My player at Providence College goes on to the Oklahoma Thunder. <laughs> right. And probably my best story is my student manager and later <laughs> my, my grad assistant and then my film guy with the Celtics goes on to become the head coach of the Lakers, Frank Vogel. Yes. So it's, it's interesting how your paths cross and these guys go on and have such tremendous success. And you just marvel at, at all of them and what they are accomplishing. And you're just so proud to have been associated with them. Yeah. And, and of course, you had so many assistant coaches go on and be successful head coaches at the college level as well. Um, you, as, it's, as far as I recall, I think when you went to Greece, it was the first time you ever took over a team in midseason. Yeah, early in the season, both times. And yeah. if I had to do it all over again, I said after the first year, I'd never do it again. Right. But we had great success. I loved the people very much. I loved the guys on the team a lot. And I learned a lot. But I, the, if I could come back and do it again, I would really love, because the head coach picks the team. Unlike the NBA, the head coach really goes out and gets the players. I would just like to, to get a different type of team Keep the Greek guys. The Greek guys were great, and it's a good nucleus. But I would like to get a little more athleticism at the other positions, the Americans. And, um, and that, that's what I would do different. I would just put the, the makeup of the team different. Outside of that, great experience. Did you have a uh, – you know, Greece is one of those countries where you, it seems like you can have more Americans than – you know, you can have more foreign players, international players – I remember the old days, it was two foreign players, and that was pretty much common throughout Europe. But I, you had so many guys that I recognize, you know, Nick Kalathis, Jimmer Ferdet, Deshaun Thomas. When you went there the first time, did it help coaching them that they knew who you were? And did it, was it a comfort level for you that there were a lot of guys that were familiar with you? Yeah, second time around was much easier because I was very close with Nick Kalathis, still am today, still going to coach their national team. Um, but it was, it's a team that it's all about the EuroLeague is so different because it's about budgets. You have the soccer um, institutions like Bayern of Germany, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then of course, Cheska in, in Moscow with the gigantic budgets of, of 30 to $40 million budgets. Then you have the middle of the pack teams like, uh, like the Olympiakos and Panathinaikos and, and, and some of the other teams in Germany as well as, well, Messina came in and they went from their budget goes like from 
14, 15 million to 20 million. And Messina is the general manager. So Fenerbahce under the famous coach Obradovich, they have a very good budget. So, and back in the day, Panathinaikos, they had the biggest budget of them all. They went after Dominique Wilkins and Byron Scott and some of the great American players when they were just a little bit out of their prime. Uh, and, and they brought them over and won six Euro titles. So it's, uh, but when, when hard times hit Greece, obviously Panathinaikos and Olympiakos could only have a budget of 12 to like $16 million. And, and it's even going to get tighter now because of the, because of what everybody's gone through with the virus. Yeah. I don't think people realize in the States that, you know, un- unlike some of the, you know, in, um, the way I understood European basketball all these years, a lot of these teams are sponsored by corporations and or uh, maybe a rich businessman who can throw money around. And I would imagine with coronavirus, that's going to affect even the salaries throughout the Euro League. Would, would, would that be the yeah, case? Our owners at Panathinaikos lose about $8 million personally per year. Yeah. What the people don't realize out there is, would tell our biggest sponsor was a betting company called BetShop. And we only make the EuroLeague teams only make a million dollars probably from television per team where we're making billions in the NBA. They're making a million. I always thought that if the NBA could take over the EuroLeague, although they're kind of against each other, the EuroLeague does is not fond of the NBA and but if the nba could take it over it could even make it more global and then the tv market each team in the euro league could probably pay be paid 15 or 20 million dollars each and you'd have a much better product but because of the uh, you know people battling each other right it's not going to happen that way what about um uh, getting back to getting over to greece the first time you your uh, your owner's a unique guy um, did you ever have a, uh, G, let me see if I get a G, Giannopoulos, G, yeah, let's see. No, you say Giannopoulos. Okay. Giannopoulos. Okay. Uh, okay. Young guy, um, a little bit out there. I mean, emotional and, and energetic. Let's put it that way. Well, my wife, my wife said <laughs> she's all for me going to Greece. Right. And she says to me, you have to go basketball's in your blood. Yes. She wakes up on Christmas Eve and says, you can't go. I said, why? I said, I just Googled the owner. <laughs> so, well, what did it say? It said he was fined uh, $300,000 after a victory. He went in the official's locker room and threatened the mother's the daughters, the sisters of all the referees <laughs> and told the referees they would not get out of Greece alive. <laughs> oh my goodness. He, but, uh, but in yeah. reality, yes. he's, a, he's a really good guy. He cares about basketball very much. He's actually very shy and very quiet away from the game. But during the game, yeah, him, yeah. his uncle, uh, they go berserk. He smokes five packs of cigarettes a day <laughs> and uh, he's in his mid forties, but a good guy loves the team losing a lot of money. Uh, I had a great relationship with him and um, still to this day, have a good relationship with him. Well, you, uh, you, had, I mean, you, had, you work for some great ADs too, in all honesty. I mean, you were very fortunate in your career that you had some, some great. You know, mentors. I, 
friend, think about this. I worked for Lou Lamarillo, John Simpson at BU, who the people will not know as much, but Lou Lamarillo in the Hockey Hall of Fame. We were, we're still very close today. C.M. Newton and I at Kentucky were very close. Uh, Tom Jurich and I, just think about an athletic director, friend, who can keep his job making millions of dollars if he fires me. They tell him, you fire Rick Pitino and make him the scapegoat of, of this. You keep your job. You know what he says? Under no circumstances am I firing Rick Pitino. He got us in the Big East. He got us in the ACC. He built us into something special. I'm not firing him. I went to Tom and said, Tom, look, we're always going to be friends. Fire me. I said, just give me one year's salary. <laughs> yeah. But fire me. We had this discussion. He said, under no circumstances will I fire you, and it cost him a job. Where do you get people like that in today's world, of, of exactly. the corporate world? Exactly, exactly. I got to ask you this, because I, I read this about the smoking in the arenas in Greece. <laughs> um, did that, that had to drive you nuts, because you're a health I, nut. I, I think I had, if I had any, any, anything positively about Greece, I think I changed, I complained so much about that, that when I came back this year, it was illegal to smoke in wow. the arena, illegal yeah. to smoke in bars and restaurants. They stopped it all, which was amazing. And I would say that about 80% of the people obeyed it, obeyed it. But uh, of course, my owner did not, but 80% <laughs> of the people did. Yeah. How, how was, um, I'm sure you're, ability to coach the game had an impact on you, you coached against some great teams and great coaches in the Euro league, particularly. I'm wondering, first of all, and I was watching some tape the last couple of days of, of your team uh, at Panathinaikos. First of all, would given all of your experience talking hall of fame experience, did you have any trepidation about coaching against a David Blatt or an Obradovich or guys like that? I mean, what, because, and I say that because, You've really, in, in the United States, have you, your career speaks for itself as far as the, the, the coaching, the preparation for opponents. Did you have any pre, uh, trepidation when you went into the Euro League, especially taking over in midseason? Well, you know, in, at the pro level, I've coached against Pat Riley and Phil Jackson. That's true. Uh, at the college level, I coached against Dean Smith, Frank McGuire, Coach <laughs> yeah. K, you know, all these guys. Yeah. But really, that doesn't help you when you enter the Euro League. Right. Because the basketball is so different. So what I did, friend, more than anything else is I just took the other teams, uh, the other coaches' offense. They, they were in 13th place out of eight, I think, 16 teams at the time. So I, I kept his offenses, and I just changed the defenses. And I did it the second time around as well. I kept the offenses, tweaked it, added to it, but I changed the defensive philosophies. Uh, they were switching a lot my first year. And I said, no, when I, it was working, the switching. But what was happening, they were getting destroyed on the offensive glass because they were always caught on the switching. And, and although they were good at stopping the play, they were getting annihilated on second shots. So I changed that philosophy, changed a little bit how to defend the pick and roll. But outside of that, I kept their offensive philosophies, which I love. Great ball movement, great player movement. And I said, hey, Nicolaitis, just like I did at Providence with Billy Donovan or what I did <laughs> with Louisville with Peyton Siva. Yeah. Or, I said, hey, hey, man, it's your game. 
create, baby, just create. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, now I, you said this, but, uh, and we watched him at Florida and did you, did you recruit Nick before he I went to not. Florida? You didn't. Okay. Did not, no, but you knew him through Billy, obviously. I knew him through Billy, Billy talked to Billy about him. Yeah. Uh, great. Awesome guy. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite plays to coach, uh, just in, and he knew the game. Uh, I, I wanted to focus at the defensive end. We ended up making the playoffs. We went from 13 to six. We made the playoffs. And it's because I didn't change too much offensively and just got better defensively. You're, in your career as a coach, the one thing I noticed about you is you, you have won with different styles. You, you pressed and ran. You shot the threes at Providence before anybody else did. Um, I don't know. You'll, you'll never give away the secrets to that matchup zone at Louisville, but you confuse people in the half court. I'm wondering um, when you when you went to when you went to the especially in the Euro League, did you find it stimulating to challenge yourself to figure out a style that was going to work defensively for your team? Yeah, I, I couldn't put in a matchup zone in the Euro League. I would have liked the matchup zone takes about three weeks to really really master. It takes a lot of communication, and I couldn't do that with, with coming in with very few practices because we, we got right into games, couldn't do that. But it, I got the, I got the man, man defense down. We got better at that. And um, we played Real Madrid in the playoffs, and the difference between the EuroLeague and the NBA is you have to win one round to get to the Final Four but if you don't have home court advantage, it's tough for you to, to win that. It's best of five. Um, but I, I loved it. I love the way they do that. Best of five, and then you go to the final four. And it's, it's, it's really cool to see that happen. I don't know if they're going to finish it this year or not, just like right. the NBA playoffs. Exactly, exactly. What, um, what are you bringing back to your, your coaching philosophy? Like, what, what are you bringing back to Iona that you say – when you were coaching in the Euroleague, you know, we're going to do more of that. Well, I'm going to run all Euroleague offenses, yeah. everything. I think yeah. It's all going to be Euroleague yeah. because it's, it's one thing I have always done in college. I played with a 24 second clock. I never, ever played with a 30 second clock. I always had the 24 second clock on. So with the 30, with the 24 second clock, the Euroleague makes four or five quick passes in four or five seconds. And then they try to go downhill or they work from about 10 feet off the post. And then they create the movement either off the post or off the elbow, and then they attack. They go downhill. And they run a lot of sideline pick and rolls where they attack toward the baseline, and they create some great movement off of that as well. Right, right. Did you, I mean, did you find yourself, I mean, did, it's a cliche, but do you, do you come back with all your experience? Did you come back a better coach? Do you think when you left? Oh, I learned, you know, it, it's so much fun when you can have a learning experience, not only the places you visit, but from guys like Obradovich and guys like the uh, Fenerbahce coach, the Real Madrid coach, the, uh, I knew Messina beforehand. They just run great offensive sets, but it's not that it's not that the coaches are better than American coaches offensively and we're better than them defensively. It's just they have humble players who love to make bounce passes. <laughs> right. And they right. like the movement. They all shoot. Their yeah. centers all shoot. So it's the players that make the offense, just like college, just like the NBA. So they are conditioned to move the basketball. They're conditioned to throw bounce passes. 
they're not conditioned like James Harden to come down, right. hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, and then attack uh, after I've gone through my legs 10 times. Yeah, they're kind of, tra- to me, they're trained like college players. In other words, they're hard coach. 30-year-old college yeah. players Yeah, what they are. And yeah. I love the bounce pass. Right. And I say about <laughs> percent of all passes in the Euro League are bounce passes. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. I, If you look back on, uh, and I don't know how much college basketball, I know you got to watch a lot of it probably in the middle of the night when you were when you were over there, but I always try to tell my friends back in the States, like a college kid playing at Louisville or Kansas at 19 or 20 years old couldn't play in a really meaningful Euro League game. Is that, does that make sense yes, to you no now that you've been over there? It. No yeah. question about it. Just tell 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 the listeners the level of play in the Euro League, and and let me ask you this: I'll I'll give you an analogy. If I'm wrong, tell me. I, I kind of feel like uh, college basketball at the highest level is Double A baseball to the major leagues, and the Euro League would be Triple A. Does, does that yeah, make sense? Euro League, a, mo- a lot of the guys in the Euro League, um, late first round draft choices. Yeah, there yeah. are the few that, like the young man at Barcelona who. Turned down a contract with Chicago. Uh, oh, Mirotic, Mirotic, Mirotic. Yeah. yeah, and he's making fourteen million dollars. Yeah. They pay you net. Uh, they pay you net. Uh, so it, it's a little bit different uh, in the way they pay you. Uh, about fifty percent of the teams are late in their payment, but everybody gets paid. But these are second round draft picks. These are foreign players that um, may have played in the NBA but want to go back home. They're 30 to 32. They want to end their career in the EuroLeague. Couldn't make it in the NBA. They were, they were 11th, 12th man, uh, like a, a Deshaun Thomas or a, a Jimmer Fredette. Uh, Nick Calaitis played at Memphis. So they want to be, they want to have more of an impact. So they go to the EuroLeague, a little bit of a different style. Um, actually, it, it, it's a lot different. It, it's college with 30 year olds, it's much more suited to college basketball, except they play much faster. They play with a 24 second clock. Right. So it's and different. I know, and I noticed your team pushes it. Like you had Kalathis and you, like, as you said, you turned him loose. We, we and- were one of the better fast break teams, Madrid, uh, Panathinaikos. Uh, we, we were more of a fast break team. Ephes was in first place because Larkin was having such a phenomenal year. Yes. He, yes. he was dominating the league. Yeah. Do you, do you understand now, now that you've been over there, why, uh, like, uh, to me, when I see a kid at 19 or 20 play well in the Euro League, I could see how it translates to the NBA because of the level of competition. Yeah, like a guy like Wilbekin who plays for um, the best defensive team in the Euro League, uh, Maccabi. Uh, that was a defensive coach. Uh, Wilbekin is a star in the Euro League, and, and obviously he couldn't play in the NBA. Why? He doesn't have the skills or a lock-in, for instance. No, because he's a little smaller. His size is a factor. Um, now, now Jimmer Fredette's size was a factor also with the EuroLeague. They would post him up. They'd run him off screen. Size is a major factor. But that's why Nick Calathis was so valuable, because he's a 6'4 guard. He's also an excellent defensive player as well. So it's it's different in terms of size. Guys like Wilbekin, lock-in. They can be stars in the EuroLeague. A great player, uh, Mike James. Yes, yes. 6-1 guy, who I personally think can definitely be a major factor in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, he was there for a while. They didn't 
sort of buy into his attitude a little bit. But Mike James is a dominating guard in the Euro League. Yeah, he's talented. We we saw him in the, that TBT that we do every summer, the two million dollar tournament. Mike's Mike's really talented. Mike yeah. even had a little bit of an an attitude last summer when we watched him play. My first yeah, Mike year, uh, is a different breed of cat. I, uh, <laughs> we beat him in Milan in a big game. Yeah, um, and um, the ball was being kicked somewhere. And he was yeah. storming up the court. But uh, personally, I liked him. A good guy, but a hell of a basketball player. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. It's fun. There's so many good players in that league that the, I mean, even your team. You you brought first round picks off the bench. Wesley Johnson is towards the end of his career with Jimmer yeah. Fredette. You had uh, you had a lot of. I think college basketball fans would recognize a lot of the guys on your team. Yeah, like as Wesley well. Johnson is is a great guy, he's a terrific guy. He can play in the Euroleague, you know, three or four more years of his career, extend it, get paid, not in you know, not like the NBA standards. It would be like a, a minimum contract in the NBA. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you were part of uh, Kentucky Louisville rivalries on both sides. I, I don't think there's a more heated. I, I'm the only guy I think, well, no, I'm not the only guy. Uh, Ed Cooley and Pat Scary were the three guys in Rhode Island that coached on at both URI and PC. So you and I understand how crazy that rivalry is. Yep. Uh, Louisville. So Louisville, Kentucky, Providence, Rhode Island. Tell, tell listeners about Panathinaikos <laughs> And Olympiacos. All those rivalries you just mentioned, including Duke Carolina, would be a church league game compared <laughs> to Olympiacos Panathinaikos. First, first and foremost, your bench is shielded with yeah. <laughs> bulletproof glass. And they have an overhang like a hockey thing. And then you have a net around the court. Uh, so the hooligans can't throw things. You have certain sections at Olympiacos as well as Panathinaikos. And, and this year, my owner had to leave at halftime because he was threatened with a guy holding a hand grenade. Right. He said the guy had a hand grenade if he didn't leave. So he had to leave at uh, halftime. You walked in with 100 police with shields as you walked into the arena. So it's nothing. And remember, these were all Greeks. These, these aren't them. The Turks versus the Greeks. These right, are all right. Greeks. And these are all people from Athens. So this is like, I, I would think like a neighborhood. And well, just outside of Olympiakos is about uh, 25, 30 minutes outside of Athens. We're, we're located in Athens. Um, and it's, 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 it's nothing. The rivalry is nothing like. Now, I got along with, fortunately, the Olympiakos people somewhat liked me. I was one of the few people that wore green that they would even say hello to. And I think it was because I was the national coach as well. Right. Now, it's funny about that because uh, your players were excited when you were named a national coach. And then I read where some of the Olympiacos coaches, uh, players were like, well, we're not going to play for Rick Pitino. I have to believe that's part of the. Well, that was hate. ownership making them do it. I met <laughs> those guys. The ownership. Yeah. The two owners, the, there's two brothers at Olympiacos. Yeah, exactly. And there's. Uh, Dimitri, they hate each other. So the owners made him write that letter. And it was, it was actually funny. The players told me through some other friends on my team. Well, I'll give you an example. Um, Papa Petro, uh, who I love on my team. Played at Texas was, for Rick Barnes. Yeah, yep. Was the best man for one of the guys on Olympiacos. Yeah. Uh, and they cannot be seen in public together and they're best friends. Yeah. 
yeah. That's, that's parentheses. Who's the star, yes. star of Olympiacos? Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you anticipate if everything works out with your situation, Iona, that you'll go back and try to get the uh, coach the national team? Yeah, I'm planning on coaching the national team. Yeah. Uh, there's right now I'm sometime in the next month or so, I'm hoping to get back to Greece, get my stuff, because I just got the last flight out through London. So got I'm it. hoping to continue. When I meant to ask you this because when I watched one of the last games, did you play any games at the very? I know, I know, Coach Messina and Milan, they were in Valencia playing in front of an empty arena. Did you have that experience? We were getting ready to go yeah. play um, Fenabachi uh, in Istanbul. Yeah. And we that morning they said, no, we're not going to go. Games are going to be canceled. We figured it would be a week to two and then we'd go play. And then we realized what it became. What, what was it like? I know you've, you've been, a, uh, I'm sure you've traveled the world, but you got a chance to play in some pretty cool places in the EuroLeague. Yeah, you know, it, uh, Moscow was much better than I ever anticipated. Right. Tel Aviv <laughs> was much better than uh, any place. I loved, obviously, Barcelona. I loved the Madrid. Uh, I wasn't crazy about Istanbul. Uh, nobody spoke English. And the traffic, although Moscow was <laughs> the traffic, it would be like being on the LIE yeah. <laughs> between 5 and 6 o'clock, uh, and there were 10 accidents. <laughs> That's how bad the traffic was. You, did, you didn't move. Um, Istanbul was, uh, was like that. Moscow, I found Moscow fascinating and uh, very nice. Uh, I, Tel, Tel Aviv. The beaches were beautiful. And, well, that, well, you're uh, used to Miami Beach. It's kind of like Miami Beach. Yeah, it, it's not as um, – <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhat like Miami Beach. I don't think quite as nice as Miami Beach, but, but very nice. And, and this – I love Spain. Spain is, is great. I've been to Italy about 20 times, so that was nothing new. Lithuania was different. It was cold and like you'd expect it in the wintertime. Um, but what did you th- what did you think of the basketball fans of Lithuania? Did you get a chance to experience? Oh, Del Garrett is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. they packed the place. They <laughs> scream. You know, in in Greece, they chant the whole game. They sing these songs, and um, and then I would ask my players, "What are they chanting?" And we'd say we're playing a, a a different team. They said they're chanting insults against Olympiakos. I said, but we're not playing Olympiacos. Why would they? It doesn't matter. They just <laughs> yeah. chant against Olympiacos, even though we're yeah. not playing Olympiacos. Yeah, yeah. That would that'd be like that'd be like uh, you coaching Louisville in a game against Clemson, and they're chanting Kentucky. You know, the, we, yeah, we hit, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's Kentucky. Only that they're, they're swearing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Um, let me segue back because I'm excited for you that you're back uh, in the New York area. So you're in Greece. You knew the president of Iona. And as we talked off the air, my experience in the Mac and Manhattan College, Iona, I think you're going to have a, a great time. I, I have no doubt you're going to build a great program. But uh, you're in Greece and you get this. How, how did that all kind of come about? Because you did know you did know the president of Iona through your days at Kentucky. Well, he, he was the president of Transylvania, and I, I, I left him tickets for some Louisville games, but he was friends with, a, with one of my best friends. Um, I have a business um, with Jamal Mashburn, Rick Avar, called MAP, Mashburn, Avar, Patino. Well, Avar was close friends with the president of Transylvania. 
So that's how it all evolved. That's the genesis of it all. He, he now goes from Transylvania to Iona. I'm over there. He travels with the athletic director to Madrid and wow. meets with me when we're playing Real Madrid. Yeah. And so that, and that, so they came over to see you and. And we talked and they had a vision. The coach before me did a fabulous job. Yes, he did. Yes. They got it. He was in the NCAA like six out of nine years and built a very good basketball program. Uh, they, they, they obviously want to try and get out of the first round. Uh, they asked me my thought process on the program. I said, well, you, you've got a great program. Now, like most places, I said, believe it or not, Louisville, Kentucky, Providence had very poor shabby facilities. And now it's an arms race in college basketball. I said, would well, you have to build your infrastructure? You have to have better weight rooms. You have to have better refueling stations. You, you have to do it over somewhat. And if you have the resources to do that, uh, certainly you can continue and hopefully get out of that first round. Now you, you, you're very accustomed to Westchester County. Uh, you uh, live there, Wingfoot, I think family, right. Is family in the community. Had you been on, I, I mean, have you been on Iona's campus ever or in the longest time? I mean, no, even I, at, I actually been in Manhattan's campus many times. Yeah. Uh, the coach right now is, is uh, an ex ball boy of mine with the Knicks as well as player of mine at Kentucky, Steve Massiello. But I've never been on my own campus. I don't believe I have. I don't remember. But I am a member of a golf course that's 10 minutes away called Wingfoot, which is a famous golf course in, in uh, Westchester County. I, uh, you'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll like Iona's campus. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, we were talking off the air. There's a, I don't know how you, I, I know it's kind of full circle for you, but I just wonder how excited you are where you, you're really just going to coach basketball. There's not going to be the distraction of being the coach at Louisville or Kentucky. So, like, how, how much fun can that be for you, you think? Well, I also have a friend of yours as my assistant who's in his yeah. 70s, uh, who was Jimmy Valvano's assistant when they broke into the top 10 back in the day yes. when they got Jeff Rulin. Yes, uh, Tom Abbott and Marco. Yeah, yeah, the alphabet man, who's yeah. done a great job for me already. Uh, I, I love seeing someone his age with as much fire in his belly to recruit of all things. Uh, it's exciting to see. And that's why we're bringing in eight players this year. And yeah. without Tommy, I don't think we could have gotten that job done. Yeah. I, I, I always told people that if I got back to coaching, I would have hired him in a heartbeat just because he's loyal and he will work until, uh, I mean, he's, yeah, you know, you've had some hardworking assistants, but Tommy is, I, I think if there's a recruiting hall of fame, he's in the first ballot. No question. And he <laughs> loves it, which is great. Yeah. Most people don't love yeah. recruiting like he does. Yeah, I think you were at BU when when Jimmy V, you know, that late 70s teams when they played in the garden. I, I remember seeing them beat Kansas in the garden, Iona. And, and, and they beaten Louisville too. Louisville. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I think you you're probably you're you're probably you're going to try to do that obviously. Play in the garden. We're going to play we're going to play in the garden. We're, this year we're playing in the garden. We're hopefully going to go home and home with teams like Syracuse. We're going to be in the Battle of Atlantis. We already scheduled that. Uh, so it's, uh, we, we first, we've got to take the Gonzaga model. And we, we realize that our league is not very strong in terms of rankings. So we now have to take a non-conference schedule. And we have to make it, you know, six or seven major teams and, and make it very big. Yeah. 
Going back to Greece, and we'll finish up in a couple of minutes here, Rick. Do you think, um, kind of, uh, do you think being in Greece and being active? I mean, you're a young guy. I know how, how you value conditioning. Do you think the opportunity to take the chance to go to Greece is a a reason why somebody like Iona would say, "Hey, this guy, if this guy would go to Greece to coach, we could get him to come and coach a college team." I think it was with, with Iona, I think it was just a relationship with the president. I, I don't think that if Iona was in North Carolina or Iona was in Pennsylvania or Iona was in uh, Washington, D.C., I don't think I would have taken the job. I was, I was very happy being in the EuroLeague. But because Iona was in New York, where I'm from, and I have my, my son in Harrison, New York, 10 minutes away, and and I live in the city. I still have an apartment in the city from my Nick days. I don't think I would have taken it, but because Iona was in New York, it was a good fit for me. There's a chance if you coach a national team, depending on the NBA schedule, that you may have the Greek freak. Um, a, what, first, what's the reality of that, given that the NBA schedule could be crazy? And B, how much fun would it be to coach? Uh, well, I, I coached his brother who's also on the Milwaukee Bucks, but the Greek freak would be, a, he, he played in the last um, uh, national team tournament. They didn't make it. They lost a very close game. I think he knows the, uh, the FIBA game, so to speak, the, the European game. I think he'll be much better at it this next time around because we'll, we'll run some offenses that'll uh, gear, gear up to his talents a little bit because he's become a great passer as yeah. well as a scorer. Given, given that uh, you're not sure about the NBA schedule, do you think if, if it fit his schedule, he will, he'll, he will play for the national team? I'm hoping. Look, we, we don't have any NBA players. You're going to play against Canada. You're going to play against Argentina. They're going to have nine NBA players. We, we have a good group of Greek, a good contingent of Greek players, but there are no NBA basketball players, so we need the Greek freak. Got it. Hey, Rick, um, I wish you all the best. Um, uh, glad you could come on this podcast you help educate us about greek basketball and uh happy you're back and i think you're going to do a great job at iona it's a we talked off the air uh i had i had great days at manhattan college getting into two vans and driving up to new rochelle i'm sure you'll have a nice charter bus but uh no they were uh, just talking about <laughs> they could save eighteen hundred dollars um per yeah. game they go in vans instead of taking buses. Well, we're a, I knew the big problem I had <laughs> at Louisville was which <laughs> private jet we were going to take to the game. Right, so it's right. a little bit of a different uh, resource that we, I, we're going to go through. I think we're all going to go through that with the coronavirus stuff. So uh, yeah, no question. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, it's a new reality. Um, Rick, thanks so much for your time today, and all the best of luck at Iona. Thanks, Fran. Good being with you. Well, that'll do it for Rick Pitino. He had some really interesting things to say about his time coaching in Europe and Greece for Panathinaikos. I'll be very interested to see how some of the things he learned as a coach in the EuroLeague will translate back to his, uh, his new career now as a head coach at Iona College in New Rochelle, New York. That'll do it for this week. We'll be coming to you again next week from another place in my world of basketball. <laughs>